0: is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. This is Popular Technology Radio your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host.
1: Hey, welcome everyone. It is a new edition of Pop Tech Radio. I am Mike Etchard. I hope you're having a great day. It is a lovely warm and sunny day here in Southern California, and I get to chat with a couple of my friends. First off, I've got my good friend, Brent Butterworth. He, of course, is the audio and musical instrument writer. For the wire cutter, he's also the editor at Soundstage Solo. And when he's not doing all that stuff, he is a gig pig. He is a working musician here in the greater Los Angeles area.
0: Brent, how are you? I'm having a wonderful morning, and I hope you are too.
1: Yeah, I am, but the day is young. The day is <laughs> not ready to throw up the victory flag just yet, but joining us, of course. He is a freelance photographer and writer and world traveler for CNET and the New York Times. And when he's not doing that, he is also a writer of fiction. He is Jeff Morrison. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. How are you? It's morning. It's morning. We'll just leave it at that, shall we? And we used to do this Troika thing back in the old sound and vision radio days this you guys have each been on the show individually many times But this is the first time I think in pop tech radio where we've actually been on all at once Yeah, good to have you both here good to join you. We're gonna start today talking a little bit about digital music you guys probably saw that uh, Spotify has been posting their numbers Their subscription numbers are up. They are still apparently losing money and will be losing money for the foreseeable future. Are you guys both Spotify users? Who is your deliverer of choice when it comes to digital music?
0: Well, for me, Spotify, I dabble with other things, but Spotify is probably 90% of my digital music at least. I got it a long time ago when I had to evaluate the Google Home speaker when it first came out because it only worked with a pay service. And uh I was just like, "Oh my god, this is great and it's only gotten way, way better and it's gotten to the point where, yeah, I'm a jazz guy and it used to be there was there was only old jazz on there, but now pretty much every new jazz release comes out on Spotify day and date.
1: We are all in the um in the greater LA area and to me, one of the real death knells of kind of jazz and classical music was back when we still had retail stores, uh but when Tower Records closed their doors, That was a big blow for just the retail space of jazz and classical. And so even if you can find physical product these days, it's super hard to find jazz and classical. So this is is saying this is kind of in many ways, it's been a boom to both of those categories because now it's all out there and it's all out there as part of subscription service. Yeah. And Jeff, what about you? What, what, What is your your deliverer of choice for music?
2: well i know everyone loves spotify and um i just i couldn't ever get over the fact of how little they pay artists yeah and it's not a fight that i'm really interested in making anymore it's just kind of a personal choice of you know i'd rather if it's an album that i like i'd rather pay for it and download it um i still carry an ipod i mean it's an ipod touch now but you know, I still carry an iPod around for most of my music. And um, I, if I, it's something that I don't really care to buy, I just want something in the backgrounds. I get the version of Amazon Music through Prime. That ends up being enough to satisfy that that itch of stuff that I don't have. And then if I like something there, I'll buy it. It's one of those things where I'm not trying to proselytize this specific you know, view on buying music. It's just kind of how I've fallen into it. And, you know, maybe someday it'll change. But for now, that's kind of my weird quirk.
1: But you still carry a dedicated music player, then, so you don't actually use your phone as a storage device for your music. You use a separate device.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of music on it, so it's just a lot easier. And, and most of my phone has got you know tons of photos and videos and you know stuff like that, so it's it's easier for me to to separate them out. Again, it's a weird thing that I don't I don't think most people would do, but but it works for me. So. That's, well, and yeah. without a doubt, if you're
1: an artist, it's not a way you're going to see any revenue from unless you're Taylor. Yeah. yeah, but it's interesting, you know, as we look at Spotify and, you know, I, I do some speaking in various classes with students and talking about this kind of stuff. And one of the things I often point out is when you look at the big four in music content distribution, you've got Apple, you've got Spotify, you've got Amazon and you've got Google And I asked the students, how does Apple make most of their money? And it's obviously through devices. How does Google make most of their money through advertising? How does Amazon make most of their money? How does Spotify make most of their money? So Spotify is kind of the odd man out in digital music when it comes to basically how they make their money. You know, for, for those other three, they don't necessarily need this business. They enjoy the business. They like the business, but they can afford to lose money. How long can Spotify afford to lose money? And do you guys think Spotify is going to be around in the long term, assuming they stay as they are right now? Certainly they could get gobbled up by some massive media company. But do you think they're going to continue staying around, losing this much money?
0: I don't. Here's the thing. They've built the biggest platform. And they've got a great interface and there'd be no reason why someone couldn't just buy them. I think that's probably what will happen. I don't see a business going forward with any of these streaming services. You were just saying, you know, that except for Spotify, they're all held by these big, giant tech companies. And those companies can offer this as a a little side thing to do as Amazon really basically offers it as a way to keep you hooked into their ecosystem and with Spotify they have nothing like that however they have a far better service than in my opinion anybody else does so I think that Spotify will continue to exist but I would imagine they would just be bought by somebody who has so far failed in digital music like let's say Google
1: Mm, Interesting. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick commercial break. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. I've got Jeff Morrison and Brett Butterworth here, and we've got more when we come back. Hey, welcome back everyone. Mike Etchart, Pop Tech Radio with Jeffrey Morrison. He, of course, is the writer for Tech and Travel for Cena and the New York Times. And Brent Butterworth, the audio and musical instrument writer for The Wirecutter and editor for Soundstage Solo. We've been talking about digital music. So has Google Music been a failure or is it, are they just number four?
0: Let's just stick a fork in it, man. It's a failure. (laughs) Who uses it? Nobody uses it.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I don't really know who uses it. If any, I never really thought about it. I just kind of know they're there. And because it's Google, you mention it. I guess they're a long fourth in a crowd of four.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, so, listen, digital music isn't going anywhere. Jeff, I do approve of your personal stand on that.
2: Oh, but, no, but streaming is absolutely the way it's going to go going forward. I mean, yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm I'm certainly I'm not trying to say that my method is the future or better or anything else. It's just just how I do it. And the one thing about Spotify too that I, I think is worth mentioning is that they've become almost the Kleenex or Uber where their brand has become the name for... Sure,
0: they're the generic term.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's an incredible value there for, and I agree with Brent, for someone like Google to kind of go, well, we'll just absorb this. But at this moment, Spotify is valued, I think, very highly because of the potential that they don't have at the moment anyway, a model that works for profit.
1: You know, and ironically, they are partially owned by some of the major music companies. So obviously when, when they kind of came in, the major music companies had learned their lesson in terms of licensing. And so they early on said, yeah, and we're going to, as part of that licensing agreement, we're going to buy part of you. And oh. I'm going to guess they said, well, we're not for sale. And <laughs> you so, are yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Absolutely. So I don't know if that helps. I mean, it certainly helps them in the long run, but I wonder if that kind of uh, artificially props them up given that that's kind of part of their ownership group i don't i don't know but it is an expensive game and they own none of the content right so and you can't go around and, and like netflix where you can start creating your own content they don't own anything and so they are always going to be at the behest of the folks that own the content
2: It'd uh, be interesting if they start doing what Netflix does. And just start, <laughs> you know, just you know, giving popular direct. or semi-popular bands. It's like, okay, well, you'll just publish directly through us. Yeah, you know, it'd be um, interesting.
0: So that's, that's sort of what Title did, at least for a while. You remember when? I guess when Jay Z took it over, you know, he enlisted the help of a lot of fellow artists, and a lot of them went exclusive with Title for a while. But I don't think they do that anymore.
1: And I uh, didn't even mention Tidal. <laughs> That's how. Yeah. And, awful. you know, where's that
0: going? And now we have Kobuz, Q O B U Z, Kubaz, Kobuz, something.
1: Which is kind of the high quality streaming.
0: Yeah, they're going after Tidal's, you know, giant market dominance. Hmm. You know, it's perfectly fine, those services, but I've gotten them both for free at times. And, you know, I've used them a little bit. I'm kind of like, yeah, fine. But Spotify is, has a lot more stuff and it's easier to use. And... It was like the early days of MP3 where.
2: The purists were like, oh, but it doesn't sound as good. I'm like, yeah, but you have everything. Yes, you you have everything. You have every every album ever made at your disposal.
0: Right. I've done lengthy comparison tests between, say, Tidal and Spotify. Uh, Because Tidal, for people who don't know, there's a version of Tidal where you can get CD quality out of it. And Spotify, the maximum quality is uh, 320 kilobits per second, which is about a fourth or a fifth of CD. uh, But, you know, because of the pretty good audio compression technology they have, you can barely hear the difference. You can once in a while, but it's pretty negligible. And frankly, uh, unless you're listening on a $5,000 pair of speakers, which you're not, I don't see much point. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, we got to take a
1: break. You're listening to Pop Deck Radio with Mike Etchart, Brent Butterworth, and Jeff Morrison. We got more from Techland when we come back.
3: Brembo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. Whether it's UV-coated brake discs, low-dust premium ceramic brake pads, or high-temperature brake fluid, BremboStoreUSA.com is the place to go to buy genuine Brembo OE-equivalent replacement brake components. Go to BremboStoreUSA.com to help you achieve that 60-0 to zero braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years.
1: And we are back. Pop Tech Radio, Mike Edchart, Brett Butterworth, the audio and musical instrument writer for The Wirecutter, of course, the editor at Soundstage Solo, Jeffrey Morrison, tech and travel writer for Cena and The New York Times. We've been talking about digital music, who is your provider of choice, and will they be around in the long run? And speaking of subscription services, guys, and we've talked about this on the show off and on. For our friends, Netflix, I'm going to guess we're all Netflix subscribers. Just this year, we've got Disney Plus coming out. We've got Apple's subscription service. We've got an offering from AT&T-owned Warner Brothers subscription service. If you're Netflix, is it getting hot in the kitchen, Brent? Are you going to be worried if you're Netflix?
0: Well, I would be because I think Netflix has established their brand like shockingly well over the last 10 years. But they're no Disney, and People, they do have a reputation for quality, but people will go see the next Disney movie or the next Star Wars movie or the next Marvel movie or whatever. But the next Netflix thing, it's like, uh, well, I don't know. What is it? I agree with
2: Brent, though. I mean, if there's a, oh, I'll watch that aspect to many Netflix shows. I mean, some of them are excellent, of course, but I think the majority is like, oh, that's on. I'll watch it whereas if somebody comes in let's say it's disney with oh this is a must watch thing like let's say hbo does a really good job with i think there's much more of a draw there and especially at the price that disney plus is going to be it's almost like a well yeah of course i'll subscribe to that as well but i think the next step past disney like you were saying these these other companies wanted to get in on it i think we're initially going to have way too many of these things and then that'll slowly hopefully whittle away as some of these other ones are like, well, no one's going to subscribe to that. Who cares? But it's funny that we've kind of come around where what most people have wanted from their cable service from the beginning is the ability to just buy only the channels that they want. And of course, no cable company would ever do that for many reasons. Um, And now we're kind of Having that option, but not in the way that we wanted. That's right. Be <laughs> like, careful what care you wish, for, for, you wish for. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Well, you know, and you mentioned HBO, and uh, before we started recording the show, the three of us—Cody Castleberry, our producer, and Jeff and myself. Brent, you're not a Game of Thrones fan, but we've got the end of Game of Thrones. At least as we're recording this, there's three more episodes and we all just went through the last gigantic third episode which was just exhausting and fantastic Um, but I wonder will we ever see the likes of this again because at least in the case of HBO what has happened in the last six months I suppose of course is that HBO is now under new ownership themselves under the uh, AT&T overlords and of course I can't remember the guy's name but one of the longtime executives at HBO who had been there for 30 years and kind of
2: the guy who created HBO as we know it yeah yeah, yeah. And he, he, he stopped, left and he stopped writing on the wall. Yeah. And there's certainly rumors um, or leaks that came out. Who knows if they were true, of like how he would bristling underneath the new management of what Already. they wanted from him. And and he I guess he just said, you know what, I'm out <laughs> before having to yes. deal with it. That's right. So I think I'm not inaccurate by saying this
1: currently, or at least in the last six months, let's say HBO was even kind of a tick above all the other folks. So now if they kind of get lowered down to the same tier as, let's say, Netflix and Disney Plus and a potential Apple and a potential Warner Brothers, you know, that's five right there. What is the tolerance of most people? At least for my house, I'll probably go with two.
2: Right. And I think that's how it's going to shake out, and I'm guessing that HBO is going to be going forward, and and it's going to be a a greater amount of content with, if not lower quality, it's certainly lower cost. To answer your question, but before I think we're definitely never going to see something as big and expensive as Game of Thrones again. Maybe somewhere close to it, nothing like that, because it's it was such a big cost, and it made sense for a company like HBO in the now to do something like that but in aside from the from the monetary
1: commitment it's also the commitment of story you know are you, you going to make a commitment i think at the end yeah. of 60 some odd episodes is anybody going to be making that commitment or is always going to be kind of a wait and see thing which is certainly what netflix does they have a lot of great shows on they all have
2: a lot of great shows on but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to catch on with, with folks. Yeah, there's a risk. There's a risk there. And then Game of Thrones succeeded because of the quality and the word of mouth. Um, so it's, you know, there's obviously a lot of books out there. So they could um, come up with something or even doesn't necessarily need a book. I mean, the final episode of Breaking Bad had significantly more viewers than the first episode because it's just of word of mouth. And people are like, oh, you got to watch this show. So that could definitely happen again. Uh, but the... The putting that money into an episode like we just watched this week, uh, yeah, no way. No way that's going to happen, at least not in the near future, not with all of these. Because all the pieces are getting smaller. The pie doesn't get any bigger. So each of these companies, even HBO, they're not going to get as much money as they have now when these other services roll out. Just as you said, people are going to look at it like, well, I watched one thing on HBO for one month of the year. Why am I paying $15 every month? Do you subscribe to two, let's say, but then
1: go truly a la carte? and maybe just buy certain shows
2: outside of a monthly commitment. Right, right. And I certainly do that. I mean, I haven't had cable in a lot of years, and there's one or two shows that aren't on one of the streaming services that I subscribe to that I'll just buy, like billions. I really like to show billions, but I'm not going to pay monthly to get showtime. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's who it's with. So I just buy it for 20 30 bucks 30 for the season, and that's you know a, a lower cost for me in the long run than – the subscription would be brent what is your personal
1: tolerance for subscription services in the house
0: i don't really have any i mean i have amazon prime which i you know have for a variety of reasons but i get hulu now because of spotify you get hulu free with spotify to me it's kind of like i'm not a big tv watcher and i haven't been since i was in college so um i turn it on at night at at 10 or 11 when i'm kind of like want to wind down for half an hour before i go to bed and i start watching something and then i get sleepy and go to bed i mean i'm not tuned into that thing interesting all
1: right well on that note we got to take a quick break you're listening to pop tech radio mike etchard jeff morrison and brent butterworth and we will be right back
3: It's Dodge Performance Days, where that new car smell gets replaced by the scent of burned rubber. With Dodge Charger and its available best-in-class 485 horsepower, Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye, with up to 797 horsepower and 707 pound-feet of torque, and the powerful seven-passenger Dodge Durango. Hurry in for great deals now at Dodge Performance Days. Ford's large regular car vehicle segment. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC.
1: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Pop Tech Radio, Mike Etchart, Jeffrey Morrison. He is the tech and travel writer for The New York Times and CNET. And Brent Butterworth, the audio and musical instrumental writer for The Wirecutter. And he's also the editor at Soundstage Solo. We've been talking about our own personal tolerance for all of these wonderful subscription services that are out there right now. Talking about, of course, Netflix and their arrival very shortly of considerable competition in the subscription space. And I'm out of the demographic now. I don't have young kids anymore. But I know a lot of parents that subscribe to Netflix because of the Disney content. And Disney, they have not said they're going to take away that content. But, Jeff, if you're a betting man, are we going to see much Disney content on Netflix, let's say, after this year?
2: Oh, definitely not. I mean, they've already moved to cancel almost all, if not all, of their their Disney slash Marvel related shows, obviously I think because of this, um, it doesn't make sense from a corporate mindset to be paying what's going to be your main rival. So yeah, I think we're going to lose all of that. And that's, that's an interesting point where obviously every parent of a kids of a certain age, they have to get this Disney, Disney service
1: for yeah.
2: uh, one in that household. So how many of those parents are going to be like, well, I can still find something to watch for me. On this, so why do I need Netflix? So I think that's going to be Netflix's biggest competitor and their biggest cause for perhaps a decrease in subscribers. But um, but then again, I probably will end up having Netflix and Disney uh, because it's not that much more money, and <laughs> they're going to offer you know all of these great movies, but also potentially a lot of shows on my particular fandom. So. I'll watch a Star Wars TV show for seven bucks a month or whatever it is. So, yeah, why not? Boy, Netflix has really, I mean, they have made the commitment of creating their own
1: content, obviously. Um, but ultimately, Netflix has, and Apple has the same problem, which is I've not heard actually much about Apple licensing. It seems like Apple's going to have a little bit different of a deal. Than the other three, let's say, Netflix and potentially Apple have the same problem, which is creating your own content is very, very expensive and difficult and difficult and getting those people interested, because as we mentioned in the earlier segment, there's a lot of great shows on that just never have continued because they just haven't found their audience, not because of lack of quality. So, you know, Netflix and Apple are going to be at a disadvantage because the other folks coming into this marketplace, Warner Brothers and Disney and any others that might jump in, they all have that advantage of having gigantic vaults of content and the ability to pull all that stuff out at a whim and throw it up there. So they kind of immediately come into this with considerable advantage. But again, if it's only two or even three, who do you choose? And I think you mentioned kind of the show times and a little bit below, you know, the, the folks just a notch below HBO, let's say in the former movie channel club, um, those guys are all going to suffer what happens to them yes we already right now when just the ones we're talking about that's kind of a universe of almost 10 different services you could theoretically subscribe to outside of a regular cable package outside of amazon prime outside of hulu which i think disney is trying to increase their ownership in hulu as well so i think disney is certainly looking like the behemoth in this new world yeah, for sure. And of course, with their acquisition of
2: Star Wars, and then they've been on a buying spree, and, well, yeah. and they're going to have all those Fox movies as well. And they're obviously, they're, it's funny that they're the biggest player in this game, and they haven't even launched their service yet. That's right. That's exactly right.
1: Now, Brent, you did mention though you were at Amazon Prime, and you do get television offerings and the music mm-hmm. offerings on Amazon Prime. Yeah. You, are those important add-ons to you for your Prime membership?
0: Yeah. It's something I can reliably watch. Although, you know, if I lost it, if Amazon started charging for it, I'd say, well, I got Hulu. And then, you know, I got YouTube. And I'm inspired by my friends who have kids. I'm kind of like watching more YouTube on my iPad nowadays.
1: Well, we didn't even mention YouTube and their subscription offering
0: as well. And I don't have their subscription thing. I just... I mean, YouTube, you could probably watch for the rest of your life just what's on there now. (laughs) And, you know, it's just there's so much on YouTube that I want to watch that I think this TV paradigm is very people over 40. I just I'm trying to get with what the kids are doing <laughs>
2: <laughs> as I get I further
0: away from being a kid. it also happens to be free and I happen to enjoy it more so um.
2: <laughs> and there is a lot of fantastic content on YouTube. I mean people who are creating yeah. compelling interesting well-made videos that like Brent said that there's so many of those available that you know whatever your specific interest or niche there's probably going to be a YouTuber who's been making videos for years you've never heard of that does amazing content and is worthy of, of a watch because they'll make money from that in theory. And we kind of started though talking about Spotify and
1: how they're not really making money yet <laughs> on their platform. And I don't think YouTube is either yet. Is, is YouTube become profitable yet for Google? It's, it's such an expensive thing to know. serve up all of that video and story. Boy, yeah. But they're getting the content for free. But saying. they're getting content for free. Good point. Although they're now trying, of course, to pimp their subscription service and I don't know too many people who subscribe to YouTube
2: no, that's a good example I mean I, I go to YouTube to watch some videos and I'll open up the main page and it'll show me a list of things of like oh here's the people you subscribe to here's new videos from them and inevitably they'll have you know YouTube red or whatever they're calling it now um, and with the shows that they have, and I'm like, stop showing me that. I'm not going to watch your crappy TV shows. <laughs> like right. it's just. And to tie that into, you were mentioning Amazon. Amazon's a great example of the difficulty in making good content, in that they have a number of shows that they're creating mm-hmm. that are really mediocre. I mean, a couple of them are okay, and maybe one or two are better than that. Um, but it still shows that it's you can't just throw money at some producers and then expect to get amazing content so yeah there's a certain amount of knowledge that needs to be there on I think the business side to figure out okay well here is a creative person and this is how you nurture that creative person to get content that really works without kind of annoying them or but even in the best of times you're still you know the competition is
1: crazy there's just so much great content and i will say one of my favorite shows that i do watch is on amazon which is Bosch. great show and on that note we got to take a break though you're listening to pop tech radio mike etchard jeff morrison and brent butterworth and we are coming right back And we are back. Mike at chart here with Pop Tech Radio, Brent Butterworth, of course, the audio and musical instrument writer for The Wirecutter and the editor over at Soundstage Solo, and Jeffrey Morrison, the writer for Tech and Travel for CNET and The New York Times. And guys, I think we said a little note around to each other about this. Uh, Huawei, which is the way that I believe is meant to be pronounced, is coming out potentially with, wait for it, an 8K 5G television. 8K TVs, not the first on the market, no price given, but Engadget was mentioning it, and in the same sentence, they mentioned that it's in the same league as the eye-watering uh, $70,000 8K set that Samsung has. My favorite line of the day, eye-watering, it is that indeed. Huawei getting into TVs, I guess they make TVs around the world, but not do they make TVs here that are available, you guys? I'm not even sure of that.
2: I don't think so.
0: Don't not think that so. I've seen.
2: Yeah, I believe they are certainly made in China in the Asian markets. Well, the first thing I think we have to mention is the fact that this is a a solution to a problem that I don't think anyone has. (laughs) I mean, the the number of people on Earth that don't have Wi-Fi but do have a 5G connection... Uh, that has to number in the dozens, yeah. if that. If that. Uh, so that's a weird thing to me. But my, might that
0: might that account. might it evolve in that direction, though? Might people say, oh, you know, with this mobile so fast, I don't need my Wi-Fi anymore.
2: Well, in theory, sure. But I can't imagine that any telecom company who's coming out with 5G is not going to price that significantly higher than any Wi-Fi and then start certainly cap yeah. data and so forth. Like, that's the whole thing with 5G is that there's going to be so much more bandwidth, potentially, that they wouldn't have to narrow it down for these like they do now with 4G. But at the same time, these companies also want to make lots of money and I'm sure they're going to limit these things. So the downloading or streaming video every night from your cellular connected television just seems very
0: fetched yeah. to yeah. me. But you know, given your, your tireless championing of any increase in resolution, Jeff, <laughs> I would think that you would be really into this TV.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I certainly have written plenty about 8k tvs being a complete waste but also at the same time like at the current crop of these 8k tvs they're just fantastic televisions they happen to have a useless resolution that you're never going to see but they're expensive televisions so they're going to have all of the fancy features that actually do make a difference with picture quality should anyone spend seventy thousand dollars on a television no absolutely not that's insane but i guess people do on our
1: break, Brent, you were talking about getting the call when, was it Panasonic made the gigantic 102-inch plasma and you went and looked at it? These companies kind of make this stuff for show, right? To to, kind of get press. But they clearly sell some. You know, how many 102-inch plasma TVs did Panasonic sell in a day? And how many $70,000 Samsung 8K televisions are being? So I assume if you're uber wealthy, that this is another kind of a status thing to have, but how yeah. many?
0: Well, it, I can say with Panasonic for sure. You know, that was a 102-inch plasma, if I remember correctly. I think it weighed 400 pounds or something like that. And if you wanted to put it on your second story, you basically had to cut a hole in the side of the house and. Put it in with a crane, literally. Yeah. Um, but the reason they did it was because the glass sheet that they were using to make their plasma TVs, they were cutting four, you know, I don't know, 50 or 60 inch plasmas out of one sheet. And they realized, oh, we could take one sheet and make a giant TV out of that. Right. And so they did it. And, you know, how many did they sell? I know they sold a couple, but it was more for a showpiece. It's basically a PR stunt. Yeah. Let's we'll see if we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Talk yeah. about it and say, well... And we, idiots like Brent Butterworth will fly across the country to write about our TV.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And in fact, he did. Well, I Jeff, I, did. I mean, you might have more of an idea. Like, like in the case of the Samsung television, the 8K one. That's uh, is it on the market now,
2: or is it still coming? I mean, i I know. I believe so. I believe you can still get you can get it now if you want. Depends on where you can actually buy it, I think. But I think if you're spending that kind of money, I'm guessing Samsung will find you somebody that will yeah. uh, sell it to you, of course. Uh, but when you're getting up to that size, and that $70,000 TV, that's just to be clear, that's a 98-inch television. Yeah. So we're talking about a, a replacement for a projection screen, essentially. And the same with the 102-inch plasma and all these. But not only are you replacing a projection screen at that size, it's significantly brighter So you could have something that size in a room with windows and watch it during the day and it have this massive image. I'm not trying to sell it either. I think (laughs) I think most people would be perfectly content with a thousand dollar projector and a screen and just put some shades up. Right. But um, but for some no one's saving up for a seventy thousand dollar TV. That's not this market. Obviously, this is for people who wouldn't even blink spending that kind of money and have never even looked at the price of things. So for them, sure, go for it. Here's this cool thing. And their friends come over and they can be wowed by this massive television and so forth. And hey, good for them, I guess. But for the rest of us, that's not going to be the case. And I can't imagine that a 98-inch television is going to be a commonplace thing ever. Because I think most people just, when you get a sense of how large that actually is, and there's this thing, even if it's mounted on the wall, um, it just kind of dominates the space. And when it's off, it's just this black, oppressive (laughs) <laughs> thing there and it's you know I, i've had a projection screen for 15 plus years so i love it i wouldn't go back to a television but i reviewed 80 inch tvs when those first started coming out and it's a completely different experience because it's just this black hole when yeah. it's off and um i, I wouldn't get that i th- I think it's a, a completely changes the room that it's in, in a in a negative way cool to watch sure but then with the projector you have a reflective white wall, essentially, yeah. that doesn't just distract you with the nothingness. So will Samsung sell these in the hundreds, in the thousands? Hundreds seems reasonable. Wouldn't be there surprised. There
1: are hundreds of people out there that can afford a $70,000 And that makes oh, sense. for sure. It's, it's kind of a showpiece. But then, you know, we haven't even started talking about 8K content. <laughs>
2: huh. so, of which there is none.
1: Of which there is none. And will we be content? Will the TV manufacturers be content
2: with 8K? Basically, the current HDMI spec allows for up to 10K resolution. On the HDMI side, they obviously realize that this is never going to end. The good news is, is that the way that when you're starting with quality content, HD or especially 4K, it's the scaling to go up to these higher resolutions becomes essentially a little easier Even though the math suggests that it's the same amount from a lower resolution to, say, a 4K TV, when you're starting with something quality, it's easier. And therefore, even though these 8K TVs don't have 8K content to watch on them, the 4K content is still going to look good and perhaps potentially seem a little more detailed just because of how the scaling works. We don't have to have 8k content to have an 8k tv although yes obviously that would be better but that 8k content is so far off into the future it's it's not even really worth considering that's that's years many many years away seeing as we don't even have a widespread 4k content at the moment there you go exactly
1: all right on that note we gotta take a break it's pop tech radio we're coming right back
3: Weird, boxy, funky, fun, iconic, you can call the Kia Soul a lot of things, but you can never call it boring. And now with a wide variety of newly adapted trims, it's time to expand your vocabulary. The adventure-hungry Urban Explorer Soul X-Line, the stylish, tech-savvy Soul EX, and the relentlessly athletic, turbocharged Soul GT Line Turbo. The new species of Soul, the 2020 Soul. Give it everything.
1: Back, Mike Etchart with Brent Butterwood and Jeff Morrison. We are wrapping up the show. Guys, you know, we're heading into summer. It's not quite summer yet. Do things kind of slow down in the tech world for for each of you, or is it kind of just go 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 all year? Brent, I'll let you start with that. Is it
0: for me it's go 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 because you know, in since I'm mostly audio, uh, you know, in the audio world now it's morphed into having like all these different regional shows. And so the manufacturers try to have new products for all these shows. So there's like this just constant stream of new products coming out, especially in headphones. And then there's international shows and everybody, you know, there's all these international shows like Munich is coming up next month, which is the biggest audio show. And there's just so many new venues to show product and so many product introductions and so many companies all around the world. And, of course, you could follow the Munich show from the comfort of your, you know, living room in Los Angeles. And so it's just this constant stream. It just never stops. It never really slows down for me at this point.
1: Well, you know, we, I think we've talked about this when we're in Vegas at CES and kind of the the enormity of these gigantic trade shows. And, you know, are, are we, we're already seeing it in audio, you know, it's kind of moving away from these gigantic shows and, and, you kind of back to the future, really. Kind of these these more regional shows. Yeah, is, is that is that a trend going to continue? Do you think moving forward?
0: Oh, I think so, especially because you know I think we we talked at CES about how that's barely even an audio show anymore because yeah. although it's just for various reasons, but the. um, yeah, the audio manufacturers. There, there are at least you know four or five significant hi-fi shows in America. Plus, there's the Can Jam Show, which is headphones only, and they have six of those a year real, worldwide. And there's the Munich Show. There's the um, uh, the FSI Show in Berlin in what is that September. There's CEDIA here in September. There's Rocky Mountain Audio Fest in September. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. It's really getting tough for the manufacturers to actually participate in all these shows but that is that's how they sell their products now that the retail chains are gone
1: that's right exactly and jeff do you think i mean we i think we also talked about it at ces you know and and i think somebody you know kind of off the cuff basically told me that you know and and we're seeing a lot of people just not showing up anymore at ces it's just not worth the expense and the effort um and 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 the noise level you know to, to, to be heard above the din and but somebody told me that it's like you know it doesn't matter who drops out. There's always some Chinese company that will jump in and start start showing there. Are we are we moving away from that and, and kind of the, the, the timeline of, of early January for all of these things being announced? Or is it still – I think we still see
2: on? announcements whether or not the companies actually go to the show or have a big presence in the show. that That's certainly up for debate. But, but any company can announce something that week if they want to. I mean like Brent was saying, I don't know why most companies would want to at this point. Um, because there is other places that they could do that and, and get a, you know, a more, more of a reception, but then still a lot of companies still feel that they need to, you know, it's a t- traditional mindset. Oh, it's CES. We have to announce it's CES. And so they do and it gets lost. Um, but then that's kind of how the spring sorts out for me is kind of finding, Oh, Hey, here's a thing that, that everybody missed. And, you know, we'll talk about that, or I'm going to dig further into this technology that they talked about at the show, but now are more willing to share. And then, um, for a lot of things like televisions, uh, which is obviously a big part of you know what we talk about, uh, they really are only going to start shipping maybe now, maybe early summer. And so the reviews for what was announced at CES are going to going to start happening at the earliest, you know, now in May for us, um, and more likely even later in the summer. So so that's news starts coming out like oh now we can talk about this because we've actually seen it, uh, which is you know, so it's 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 ongoing for for me anyway. The spring is the slow time, and and now it starts picking up with this other stuff. And then for my other half of my job with travel, I mean, I I spend most of the summer traveling, so it's it's a different type of coverage for me um, that doesn't really fit into the pop culture pop tech <laughs> <laughs> uh, mindset. So I'll I'll leave that part out. But, but
0: boy,
1: uh, am I jealous! For, uh, <laughs> what a what a great gig to be the travel writer, and that's you get to it's, write all it's that. Not up. too bad. No, it's not too bad. In fact, it's really, really wonderful. Well, we do want to wrap up this episode of Pop Tech Radio. Gentlemen, I want to say a huge thanks. It was great to have you both on together at the same time.
2: It's been fun. It's great to be on. It was awesome.
1: So, folks, thank you for listening into the show today. I want to thank Cody Castleberry, who is our producer and engineer and keeper of all things organized. Without him, we would flounder and don't forget we are podcasts so if you want to go back and revisit some older episodes uh, with different guests and different topics we are there wherever you get your podcasts including for me at least that's on apple itunes but we are wherever podcasts are found and also want to thank radio america who is our radio syndicator who gets us out to all the stations across the country that carry the show of which we are eternally grateful. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We will be back next week with another show. So for everyone here at Pop Tech Radio, I'm Mike Etchart. Thanks for listening in, and we will see you next week.
3: The big news from Subaru is the all-new three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has the interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.